Game Chat Born episode 114. Blizzard brings balance to Battle.net. Mm-hmm. Game Chat with Buona, your weekly source for gaming news and topics. And now here's your host, me, Buona McCall. Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 114 of Game Chat with Buona. We got a great show lined up for you, seven stories to talk about. And I actually was thinking about trimming it to six, but I changed my mind the last second. <clears throat> I hope everybody had a good weekend. Um, I had a sinus-filled, nasal drip, coughing weekend of life. It was glorious. It was actually a pretty good weekend. I, I just I'm I'm suffering from sinuses now, so you may hear me cough and you know clear my throat a lot during the stream, during the podcast. During the everything that I do here at Cassidy Twitch.television slash morning, I do it all the time. But uh, we're going to be popping throat lozenges and get through it the same way we always do. I want to thank everybody for watching here on YouTube and also listening on SoundCloud.com slash TV, where we do the show every Tuesday on um, on Twitch.tv slash Borna. We're recording it live as well, but you can find the production, uh, the produced values over there on YouTube and on SoundCloud. Now. We had a great, 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 great weekend. We had our subathon. Remember, I announced that uh, last week we we're going to have our weekly subathon, and it, was, it turned out to be very good. Although we didn't get, see, it's it's a weird thing. I'm doing the subathon to get subs, but I don't get a lot of subs. But I do get an amazing amount of support from tips and bits on Twitch, and uh, it was it was a successful successful endeavor. Twelve hours of streaming. We had a lot of fun. And I can't wait to the next one. We've got a great show lined up for you. Episode 100. We got a great show lined up for you for 114. But we got a great show lined up for episode 114 of Game Chat Born to come at you right now. And for our first story, we're gonna have a follow-up on our our story that we did last episode about the Zenimax Oculus lawsuit. And uh, it ended up being the title of our show <laughs> where it was uh, it was kind of a two part thing. We talked about the 500 million settlement that ZeniMax won and uh, they uh, they all requested. They also requested four billion. But uh, we also kind of poked fun at John Carmack because it was stated in the trial that he searched Google for how to wipe a hard drive. So that was the title of our last episode. Okay, Google, how do I wipe a hard drive? Um, Carmack came back with a fiery vengeance on Facebook with a lengthy post defending and denying a lot of things. Uh, this story I'm talking about comes by way of uh, escapistmagazine.com. This is what he said. He said, uh, an expert witness. Actually, let me find the. The line, actually. Well, let's just start this. An expert witness testified that he was absolutely certain that the finalized Rift source code closely resembled code Carmack had previously developed at Zenimax. Carmack says, this is simply not true. It's just not true. He says that the authors at Oculus never, ever had access to the id C++ VR code, only a tiny bit of plain text shader code from the demo. He says, I was genuinely interested 
in hearing how the paid expert would spin a web of code DNA between completely unrelated code bases. Now, if you read the, uh, if you read the, the, the Facebook post, you can see that Carmack takes a tone that the guy was paid and he repeats it multiple times that the guy was paid and he even mentioned a rate of $600 an hour. So I think he's, I think he's alluding to the fact that the guy basically made up the story to get paid. Um, and he said by the end of, uh, he went on to mock the validity of the so-called expert witness stating that by the end, after seven cases of absolutely certain, I was wondering if gangsters had kidnapped his grandchildren and were holding them for ransom. If the code examples were released publicly, the internet would have a viciously would have viciously mocked the analysis. I just wanted to shout you lie. He said on Facebook. So Zenimax responded to this. This, this is the part that kind of, kind of, uh, surprises me. Uh, Zenimax responded and they said that, um, in addition to expert testimony, in addition to the expert testimony finding in both literal and non-literal copying, Oculus programmers themselves admitted to using Zenimax's copyrighted code. One saying he cut and pasted it into the Oculus SDK and the Oculus VR co-founder, Brendan Irid, Brendan Irid, in writing, requested a license for the source code shared by Carmack they needed for the Oculus Rift. Not surprisingly, the jury found the Zenimax code copyrights were infringed and the Oculus Rift was built on the foundation of Zenimax technology. Now, if any of that is true, then yeah, I could see why that the jury found that they, they broke the copyright because that is blatant. Um, it, uh, if people admitted to using the code and someone requested a license for the source code shared by Carmack, um, that's, that's not very good evidence to the contrary. As for the denial of wiping, this is a Carmack denied that he actually wiped this hard drive as he was, a as he was accused of doing the court's independent expert. And again, this is, this is something that I don't think Carmack alluded to or even mentioned, but this expert was not hired by Zenimax. It was a court appointed expert that was independently hired. So I don't know. I don't know why he kept bringing up the guy's rate and how the guy's going to be monetarily. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, the court's independent expert found 92% of Carmack's hard drive was wiped. All data was permanently destroyed right after Carmack got notice of the lawsuit and that the affidavit denying the wiping was false. Those are the hard facts. So Carmack said he didn't wipe his drive. The court appointed expert said he did. It's pretty much, I mean, I, I, we can't see the evidence because it's sealed. And Carmack says, you know, a lot of stuff was sealed and he couldn't see it and we can't see it. But I mean, either you wipe your hard drive or you don't not really wipe it, but you know, just destroy certain parts. I don't know. Either you wipe your hard drive or you don't. So I don't understand how this even was admissible if it weren't even credible. That's my idea to this. So while I want to believe Carmack, the evidence is pretty, pretty daunting. And I can definitely see if I was presented with this evidence in the court case, I would, it, they would have to do the, I mean, the defense would really have to convince me 
that uh, this this evidence is not true. Um, one of the things that was also posted and um, uh, one of the things that was also talked about in the case. Carmack mentioned this is that uh, where the, the expert was. He was actually looking at the the code. I don't know. It was like the, the spacing. It was like the the coding style. He was comparing it. And it was like different sets of code overlaid on top of each other, like zoom way out. And I agree with Carmack. It was kind of like a stretch. It was it was just ridiculous what the what the guy was doing. So he said that they rebutted and they zoomed in on the text and they showed that the, 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 the code was not even similar. Um, but apparently it wasn't enough. And again, when you got somebody admitting to using code and, and another guy requesting a license, I mean, that I, if I was deliberating the jury, that would probably be enough to say, well, th- there you go. I mean, I don't need much else other than that. The, 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 the hard drive thing, even if it's not true, you know, whatever. That's enough for me. But check it out, guys, over in escapismagazine.com. I told you guys last time, Oculus versus Cinemax, this is not over. I'm pretty sure both sides are retooling for round two. There's going to be something else coming out of this. There, there's some really bad blood right now between the two. And I, understandably so. John Carmack is a juggernaut in the industry. Okay. And the fact that he was able to be nabbed from id Software, you know, the company that we know him so much from, and taken to Oculus, you know, in such a, it was very, very quick. It was just like, whoosh. Uh, I'm pretty sure Zenimax is not happy about that. Check it out, guys. Over in Escapist Magazine, they got the details about it over there. And for our next story, we're going to talk about crowdfunding. And I found a very interesting article over on Polygon. And uh, it's, a, it's a very, very interesting set of information that has gleaned the eyes of Casa de Buona about how crowdfunding for video games was way down in 2016. And they go into a, an analysis here about not only Kickstarter, you know, losing, I guess you can call it, you know, crowdfunding share. I don't know of a better word. <laughs> they, they just lost some of the, the crowdfunding dollars that they had in 2015. And uh, they had a lot less. And they go on to talk about in this article how companies like Fig and Gambitious, you know, came in and probably took some of that crowdfunding share away. But the mo- I think one of the most interesting things about this analysis, it, it, they did a, an analysis comparing games to tabletop, video games to tabletop. And apparently, I didn't even know this, the tabletop numbers are just way, way through the roof. It says in 2015, tabletop games earned twice as much money as video games. And in 2016, they earn nearly six times more. This is a trend uncovered by ICO partners over the summer. The tabletop category increased by nearly 20% from 2015, growing the amount of revenue raised by successful campaigns from 84.6 million to at most 102 or 101.2 million. The number of successful campaigns was also up by nearly 20%, 23%. So while we're talking about, you know, Kickstarter being down, overall crowdfunding being down, tabletop just just knocked it out of the park. It's insane. I had no idea. I mean, I don't follow tabletop, so I, I guess it makes sense. Um, 
And another thing they point out in this article was equity crowdfunding. This was a uh, this was a bill that was passed, I think, in 2012. And I learned this by way of Crowfall because Crowfall is a, is a crowdsourced uh, MMO that recently had a round of equity fu- equity fundraising. And this is a kind of a new thing um, that we saw with Fig. Fig was a website that was introduced where you can invest in companies as you know as an investor, not necessarily crowdsourcing it, but you own part of the company. It's equity sharing, which is very, very interesting because not only are you contributing and helping the developers, but you can get you know some money back because you're investing into the company. So this was something that was sitting in, you know, basically sitting in Congress for many, many months after the law was passed and the rule set uh, was undefined. And again, I learned this by way of the Crowfall uh, founders. They were talking about this on an interview with Market Dragon and how it just took so long for them to get the actual rules to get equity crowdfunding in place that they just couldn't do it because if they did it wrong, you'd go to jail because there was no rules in place. But the equity crowdfunding began to grow in 2016 because the rules were finally made and Double Fine's campaign for Psychonauts 2 raised over 3.8 million and Wasteland 3 raised over 3.1 million. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, this, this just goes to show that the idea of equity is starting to catch on. So will that trend continue in 2017? I don't know. I, I'm more interested in equity crowdfunding because it is something that is smart in terms of how to invest your money. You know, it's one thing to to give a company your money or give a developer your money in order to crowdfund them. It's another thing to invest in a company that you believe in, um, you know, monetarily <laughs> wise. It's, 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 it's a completely different ball game. So this article comes on, you know, it's like, where did the money go? I mean, there was a big, big drop, big, big drop. Let me get the uh, the the uh the summary here it says but even when you add together the money earned by fig and gambitious it doesn't equal the amount of revenue that kickstarter declined in 2016. our figures show that crowdfunding for video games was down roughly 13.5 million last year or around 33 percent now they also mentioned that a caveat could be indiegogo which they couldn't get data on but 33 percent i doubt that indiegogo would use up all of that 33% unaccounted for. So where did that money go? Well, they have three conclusions here. Um, They say consumers may have lost their appetite for crowdfunding. That's true. Um, Tabletop could have taken a lot from it. That's number two. And number three, they said that the the, uh, FIG's month-long delay of getting SEC approval simply pushed a number of large projects into 2017. So while people were waiting for the SEC and Congress to get their rules in place, Maybe a lot of these things that were supposed to be crowdfunded in 2016 have been pushed to 2017. And I think that could be the case. I think it's a combination of consumer losing interest and that at the same time. Um, But anyway, it's going to be very interesting to see how 2017 pans out, especially with the growth of equity sharing. Very interesting article. Check it out, guys. Over on Polygon.com, they got the details. Crowdfunding for video games was way, way down. In 2016, there could be several reasons why you decide. And for our next story, this is actually a story I just like stumbled upon just now while in the middle of recording this episode. And I'm just going to insert it in. So we're going to have a little bit more than seven stories. But this is big. This is a Steam security hole. According to a group on a, on a Steam subreddit, 
There's an exploit that can be exposed simply by viewing a Steam profile or even looking at your own activity feed. There's an exploit in here that could redirect you to some non-Steam sites or even slightly buy community market items with your funds. That's insane. Valve hasn't commented on it yet, but if I were you, I wouldn't use Steam, especially visiting profiles or looking at the activity feed for a while. I would just hold off until Valve issues a patch, comes out with a statement, because just the, the sheer possibility of this is insane. Here's a quote from the gentleman on Reddit. He says, currently there's a risk, i.e. phishing, malicious script execution, etc., involved when viewing or simply opening profile pages of other Steam users, as well as your own activity feed, both desktop and mobile versions on our, all browsers, including Steam. I would advise against viewing suspicious profiles until further notice and disable JavaScript in your browser options. Do not click suspicious, real, Steam profile links and disable JavaScript on browser. Appropriate information has been forwarded to Valve and this issue should be resolved soon. Sorry for any inconvenience. And uh, another person adds, it says, with the right know-how, a malicious user could use these actions, for example, to you need only to view a Steam profile to redirect you to a non-Steam page, utilize scripting to use your Steam market funds, and manipulate elements of the page as they see fit. This is big. If you do use Steam, I know a lot of you do, please take this warning seriously. This is not something you want to, to just say, oh, I never visit Steam profiles. I never go to malicious things. There's no possible way this could happen to me. It could happen to you. Check it out, guys, over on Rock Paper Shotgun. They got the details. This is a big, big Steam possible security hole. Let's hope that Valve comes out with a statement and or a patch to address this ASAP. All right, shifting gears a little bit. Let's talk about Blizzard. A couple stories about the wonderful world at Blizzard Technologies, Blizzard Games, whatever their name is. You ever heard this thing called WoW tokens? Well, WoW tokens are a currency that you can buy in World of Warcraft by using gold. And uh, they introduced this <coughs> a few months ago to where you could actually pay for your WoW subscription just by playing the game. It's a kind of a thing that is similar to EVE Online's Plex system. Uh, today, uh, or it was yesterday, uh, Blizzard announced a new initiative called Battle.net Balance. With this, you can use your wild tokens, <coughs> excuse me. You can use your wild tokens as currency on Battle.net, very similar to what you could do with Steam with your Steam wallet. Um, with wild tokens, you can cash them in for a Battle.net balance and use them to buy things in other Blizzard game in Blizzard games. First thing I thought about was uh Overwatch. You can buy some loot boxes. If you play enough World of Warcraft and got enough tokens, you can just buy a whole bunch of loot boxes. It's very, very cool. <laughs> very, very cool. It says the process of buying token remains unchanged, but once it's in your inventory, right-clicking it would give you the option to either add the usual 30 days to World of Warcraft or convert it to the $15 or regional equivalent on your Battle.net account. Tokens don't expire, so you can buy one and sit on it for as long as you want. And the new deal applies to any tokens that are already in your inventory as well as newly purchased ones. So this is really cool. Um, the only bad thing about this 
is that, you know, if you're, if you primarily do things just like with steam, if you primarily do things within the blizzard BattleNet ecosystem, and this is a win, this is great. You can have money to spend on world of Warcraft, Starcraft two, Diablo three, Hearthstone, Heroes of the Storm and Overwatch, whatever else. Bad news is that you can't use that money anywhere else if you happen to want to use it uh, in another ecosystem. Very similar to what we see in Steam, where you can do a bunch of transactions on the Steam marketplace, get a whole bunch of money in your Steam wallet, and you can't spend it outside the Steam. Okay, so it's, it's one of those things that has some benefits, but it also has some drawbacks. Um, but overall, I think it's kind of harmless outside of the BattleNet ecosystem because this is all stem currently from World of Warcraft tokens. Now, if you throw your own money in here, you know, just, just you know, add money to your BattleNet uh, balance and you want to spend it somewhere else, it's kind of your fault if you, you know, decide that, oh man, I shouldn't have put that money in there. I should, I want to spend it on something else. Um, so I think it's harmless on the surface. I think it's going in a decent direction if they keep it the way it is. Uh, I don't see a downside to this just yet. A huge downside other than that you can't use it outside the BattleNet. But it's cool. Wild tokens now have a dual purpose. You can use them in other BattleNet games. Get you some Overwatch boxes. Buy you some Heroes of the Storm skins. Whatever that you want to do. Check it out, guys. Over on PC Gamer, they got the details. Wild tokens can be cashed in to do all kinds of cool things on BattleNet. And while we're on the topic of Blizzard, let's talk about a brand new Heroes of the Storm hero that was uh, announced. Uh, Heroes of the Storm hero. This is another Overwatch character. We've already gotten Tracer. We've already gotten Zarya. It's now time for Lucio to enter the Nexus. Oh, let's break it down. Okay. So basically, they just showed a video of Lucio's abilities, and it's exactly what you expected, much like with Zarya and with Tracer you pretty much get the exact carbon copy of what they do in Heroes of the, uh, in Overwatch as they do in Heroes of the Storm. Here's the abilities. He has Wall Ride. When moving alongside impassable terrain, Lucio can walk through other units, and his movement speed is increased by 20%. This affects stacks with other movement speed bonuses, so he basically can just skate on walls like you do in Overwatch. His other basic abilities is Soundwave, where he can deal abilities, blah, blah, deal damage to enemies in the cone-shaped area and knock them back. Crossfade, play one of two tracks that passively provides allied heroes with either a speed boost or a healing boost in a large radius around you. There you go. Healing boost, restore a small amount of health every second to Lucio and nearby allied heroes. Mm -hmm. Speed boost, increase movement speed of Lucio and nearby allied heroes by 15%. Mm-hmm. Amp it up. Raise Lucio's crossfade track volume for three seconds. Amping speed boost to 45%. Increase movement speed and significantly increasing healing rate of healing boost. Mm-hmm. Heroic abilities. All right, here's where it kind of deviates a little bit. His heroic ability, Sound Barrier. After one second, Lucio and nearby allies gain a massive shield that rapidly decays over the next six seconds. That's normal. Here's the other thing. With Heroes of the Storm, you can have alternate heroic abilities. Check this one out. This one's called Reverse Amp. So you blast Lucio's crossfade track at enemy heroes for four seconds, causing healing boosts to inflict damage every second and speed boost to slow movement by 
So essentially, it reverses the effect of crossfade to debuff your enemies. And I looked at that. I was like, man, y'all need to bring that to Overwatch. Because <laughs> I really feel like Lucio could use some more, <laughs> some more damage dealing abilities. And that sounds awesome that he could just switch off crossfade and do damage to the enemies. Man, I wonder. I don't. <coughs> I'm losing my voice here. I don't know who came up with this idea, but uh, I don't know if it was a past Lucio that they that they scrapped in the past and they brought it back here. But that sounds awesome. I don't know how they'd incorporate that into Overwatch, but it needs to be incorporated. I'm telling you, man. Not only are the skins better in Heroes of Storm than they are Overwatch, but some of these abilities, man. They need to think about bringing them over to Overwatch after they bring them to Heroes of the Storm. This makes me want to play Heroes of the Storm again. Because um, they do things right there. I, I, a lot of people give Heroes of the Storm a bad rep, but it is a very solid game. Uh, it's got some balance issues, but it is just plain, flat-out fun. And the fact that they're bringing even more Heroes of, or Overwatch heroes to Heroes of the Storm makes it even better. Check it out, guys. Scapers Magazine. Got details. You can read it. Check it out. And for our next story, we're going to talk about Star Wars Battlefront and uh, EA. And one of the things that a lot of people complained about with Battlefront, uh, the remake that uh, EA made, was that the, the, the multiplayer was kind of shallow and it lacked a single player campaign. The good news is that they, it has been announced. I think a lot of people kind of realize this, is that uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2, which is the upcoming sequel for Battlefront, is going to have a proper story mode. And not only that, the multiplayer is gonna be revamped as well. Check out this quote that I found on the gadget. It says, as opposed to the original trilogy focus original, Battlefront 2 will take place across multiple eras of Star Wars with EA promising a wealth of new playable heroes and characters. The report also acknowledges that a that simplicity was one of the biggest complaints about the original. EA states that for the sequel, players, excuse me, can expect the far more depth and progression when it comes to the game multiplayer modes with the original battlefront lacking a campaign and launching with a sparse collection of maps ea is certainly hitting all the right notes with this pr so yeah they're, they're basically addressing all the excuse me all the issues <clears throat> that happened in uh, battlefront one the first battlefront uh, so while people complain about ea they do acknowledge what people are saying about their games now, the actions that they take against those games, I think, where people deviate that EA is actually doing anything about it. I, for one, think they are. I think overall EA is doing a good job with addressing a lot of these issues people come up with, uh, namely with Battlefront, because the game did in, it did improve over time. Um, and they addressed a lot of issues that people complained about at the original launch. But the thing is with gamers is that they don't look they don't look back at things after they've decided. Like if you if you play a game and you try it and it it gave you a bad impression, you submit feedback to the publisher, to the developer, and you don't even go back and look at it again. Now the, the developer and the publisher will probably make those changes, make some changes for the better, and you won't go back and look at it. That's why I'm when I when I live stream a game sometimes and I come back and I revisit the title, people are like, oh, I heard this game sucked. Why are you still playing it? You know, so they don't even know that the game's been changed and they don't even know the game's been updated. And I think a, a good example of that would be Ubisoft's Division. Everybody had bad expectations and bad, you know, a, a bad taste in their mouth from the launch. And then when you see people still playing it, they go, why are you still playing that game? <laughs> that game stinks. 
because of what happened at launch. And again, people don't go back and revisit things. I also learned my lesson from games like Marvel Heroes, which had a really, really bad launch. But then it turned itself around and became really, 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 really good. And again, people are like, why are you still playing that? So gamers have a tendency to never revisit games again after that bad first impression. And I think uh, EA is going to have to do a better job of coming up with better first impressions overall. Can't really blame the gamer for doing that, especially when there's so many choice and variety out there. Why waste your time with this game when there's other things you could be playing? <coughs> Check it out, guys. Over on Engadget.com, they got the details. Battlefront 2 single-player game mode is going to be fleshed out as well as a better multiplayer in Battlefront 2. Check it out. And for our final story, we're going to talk about Fire Emblem Heroes. Fire Emblem Heroes recently was released by Nintendo onto the mobile platform and uh, it's kind of a trend that we've been seeing and it's a good trend i think nintendo should definitely release more titles to mobile uh to ios and android so this story fire emblem heroes cover uh, by sensortower.com says that the game has grossed 2.9 million on its first day that's a really good start so it's just after 24 hours of availability in many key worldwide markets, uh, Sensor Tower's store intelligent data shows that Fire Emblem Heroes has already earned more than $2.9 million in worldwide gross revenue and has been downloaded more than 2 million times from the App Store and Google Play. Now, the downloads I don't really look into too much, uh, especially on a free game. Uh, a lot of people download them and try them out. But when Fire Emblem comes into play, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of an expert on this now. You download the game multiple times if you're going to be re-rolling new accounts because if you go through the game, go through the tutorial, you get a set of free heroes and people are like, I don't like these heroes. I'm going to re-roll. So they uninstall the game, then they re-download it and they keep doing that until they get the heroes they want. So the downloads could be inflated by as much as X2. Um, but another interesting thing is that a, a, a majority of these downloads came but from japan with the west coming in second <clears throat> there's a nice little graph here showing that uh in terms of initial downloads and initial gross that fire emblem heroes trails pokemon go and super mario run look at that <laughs> and clash royales in fourth so look 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 what's happening in the mobile market nintendo's taking over mario run Pokemon Go, which is Pokemon Company, but you know you still got to consider Nintendo as a part owner. Fire Emblem Heroes, and they're going to produce. They're going to be producing and, and putting out more titles on mobile as time goes on. Yeah, Nintendo's making a big, big move in the mobile, and all these companies that are currently atop of mobile better watch out. Um, I've been saying it for. I've been saying it for probably over five years now that Nintendo really should focus on software now. And this just goes to show that they could do a really good job with it. Uh, mobile being a very powerful thing, but you know, if they just release software in general, I think they could be even more successful than uh, Sega was when they did it. Hmm. It's currently numbered the number 17 ranked iPhone app in terms of revenue in the U S app store. Um, so we'll see how it does long term. I like this article says it may be just an initial fling. Um, still impressive. Still very impressive by Nintendo. Check it out, guys. Fire Emblem Heroes. Nintendo's second mobile game grosses $2.9 on its first day. 
And that concludes episode 114 of Game Chat 1. I want to apologize for my allergies going crazy, being able to not even being able to talk for a good good amount of time without coughing, but I'm working through it. So I, I appreciate your patience on that. Please follow the stream at twitch.tv slash Buona. That's where I stream every day uh, between 8 and 10 a.m. in the morning and then between 8 and 10 p.m. at night. That's when I start. And I just go for like four to six hours after that. So you guys can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Buona, and I'll tell you when I go live there usually when i tweet when i go live and i also talk about other musings that have to go on in my other endeavors such as youtube.com youtube.com slash buona as well as soundcloud.com slash buona tv where this podcast and my other podcast tech talk with buona are produced every week tuesday and thursday mornings for you to peruse and listen with your joyous ears of life so i hope you all enjoyed the show uh, we're going to be back on Thursday for Tech Talk with Buona. If you want to come by to twitch.tv slash Buona and watch the live recording of that, I will be here for your in pleasures, in your endeavors, in your something else. Been playing a lot of Fire Emblem, and I recently got into Final Fantasy Brave Exodus. Um, so <laughs> we talked about that story today. So I've been playing those two games on top of Warframe and Elite Dangerous. So you'll find me playing those games as well. Uh, I've been getting to Atlas Reactor, Trove, some trying games as well all kinds of things happening here whatever floats your boat hopefully you can find something that you like to watch me play when you come by the stream the numbers are still you know holding a little steady we had a little drop in subs but we recovered a little bit but uh overall i think we're seeing positive traction on the stream and hopefully it'll get better with time all right guys that concludes episode 114 of game chat Ubuana, and i will see you all next time have a great day